702. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Live, online. The 702 app, DSTV Channel 856, 92.7 and 106 FM. On the show today, the economy has shrunk. GDP contracted by 0.2% in the third quarter of this year. Chief Justice Raymond Zondo speaks out in defense of the judiciary and capture Kirsten Clate's alleged killer in court. The Commission of Inquiry into the Marshalltown fire resumes and a report on the state of the country's water. All of that over the next hour. 7.02. Let's walk the talk. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Midday Report on 702 and Cape Talk with me, Mandy Wiener. Good to be with you today. We've just got those GDP figures out, which tell us that um, the economy contracted by 0.2% in the third quarter of this year. We'll break that all down for you and have a look at the various sectors uh, which contributed to the shrinking of the economy. We'll also speak to the Statistician General just after the uh, the half uh, on the show today. You can contribute to the conversation. Send us a WhatsApp voice note, 72 or you can tweet me or x me at Mandy Wiener as well. Chief Justice Raymond Zondo has been speaking today. He's been speaking a fair amount recently. We did hear Judges Matter uh, speaking out against the fact that Zondo was speaking out so much. Uh, but today he has uh, marked the start of the three-day Judges Conference at Sun City in the Northwest. It's a platform where judges and magistrates from across the country Uh, gather to air grievances on court efficiencies, other related judiciary matters. One of the things he's been speaking about is how members of the judiciary need to put their heads together to find a way to improve the country's legislative arm. Uh, So he's been speaking about that, how delegates uh, need to take advantage of this opportunity to highlight issues that have been preventing them from executing their duties. But uh, I think perhaps the line that has uh, got most of the attention is what he's been saying about the case against former President Jacob Zuma. And what Chief Justice Raymond Zondo said was that the sentencing of the former president was the greatest test for South Africa's judiciary because threats were made in the media by people who didn't want the Constitutional Court to make the decision that they believed was correct. And remember, of course, Judge Sisi Khampepe handing down that judgment on behalf of the Constitutional Court, sending former president Jacob Zuma to prison. And we know that the July unrest uh, happened uh, a couple of days or just immediately after that, really. Have a listen to what Justice Sondo had to say. Our judiciary has been tested and each time it has come out strong. Of course, the greatest test that it was put to was in 2021 when threats were made in the media by people who did not want the Constitutional Court to make the decision that they believed was correct when a former president defied the Constitutional Court. That for me will remain one of the most important moments in the history of our judiciary. That's uh, Chief Justice Raymond Zondo speaking about what a test that was. Sentencing former President Jacob Zuma 
to prison for um, really acting in contempt of court at the State Capture Commission. Tabiso Goba, EWN reporter, following that, that statement today by the Chief Justice. Tabiso, what else did he have to say about the capture of the judiciary? Um, yes, uh, Mandy, I think just uh, following up on, obviously, on what you just talked about, about that Zuma case, I think one of the issues that they raised the most is the intimidation, especially for judges who preside in high-profile cases. Um, so, Dustin uh, Winston Mulamba, Judge President of the Gauteng um, region, said, you know, obviously he's had a number of judges come to him and say, you know, these are the messages I've received, um, you know, on my personal phones. And these are judges, obviously, who are presiding over, as we know, obviously in Gauteng. That's where a majority of these high-profile cases are. So he spoke about how that's you know, intimidation is a threat to the judicial independence. And um, he said, you know, obviously at this current moment, what Dustin Lambert said is that we don't have mechanisms to actually protect these judges. And um, he said that, you know, this is one of the things that we do have to discuss in this uh, conference. As we do know, Mandy, that this conference was last held um, about 12 years ago. So obviously a lot has happened. Um, the advent of social media, um, technology, a lot of things have happened in the past 12 years. So obviously security for judges, um, how to improve, obviously, um, social media and te- technology. That is obviously one of the issues that are going to be discussed in this conference. Uh, that's just frightening to, to, to hear the extent of, of the threats that are being leveled against judges in mm. terms of their security. Um, and, and, and when we need the rule of law in the country, so that cannot happen. Uh, so important conversation happening there. You heard in that clip also um, the Chief Justice talking about the case against Jacob Zuma and the sentencing of, yes. of Jacob Zuma. He's been speaking about the capture of judges mm. and he has been very vocal lately uh, speaking out against allegations of the capture of judges and he raised it again today. Yes, yes, yes. Um, one of the things um, he mentioned was obviously private funding. Um, so he said, you know, when he got when he got into this um, position that he's now in, obviously there was a program where um, judges could actually go for further training, and obviously this program was funded by private people, not necessarily government. And Zondo said, you know, we I had to stop this because obviously um, I don't want any sort of um, people thinking that you know the the judiciary is captured and um, obviously I think uh, Mandy um, this is obviously a three day event um, the Chief Justice Raymond Zondo very much aware about the perceptions that are out there um, not just in the media but in the public about the independence of the judiciary so obviously a lot of um, discussions will be had over the next three days about how to obviously improve the independence of the judiciary but also on a more operational level um, just obviously make the courts much more efficient so that obviously um, justice is uh, served. Tabiso, thank you very much. Tabiso Goba, EWN reporter, having a look at uh, the opening address there at the judges' conference from the Chief Justice Raymond Zondo, speaking about allegations of capture against the judiciary and what needs to be done to strengthen that, um, but also these threats made against the judiciary. It's the kind of stuff you see in, in American crime, mafia uh, movies where the judges get threatened or get taken out. And we cannot allow that to happen in this country. They are getting threats. Uh, we cannot allow that to influence judgments that are made, but we also can't be naive about the extent of what is happening either. The Midday Report on 702. Winner of the Best Daytime Show Award at the 2023 Telcom Radio Awards. 
Well, let's go to the courts now because a court appearance today uh, by the 21-year-old man who was arrested for the murder of Kirsten Clates. Uh, Clates, a teacher, was found strangled and naked at the George Lear Park in Parkmore in Santon in October. So a court appearance today uh, and uh, his advocate asking for access to video footage, the magistrate telling him to liaise with the prosecution on this matter. We'll hear from our reporter in a couple of minutes, but have a listen to what happened in court today. I have instructed, I have received instructions from Tatelo Atenis. I went consulted with my client, which I will do afterwards. Um, I've got all the necessary vital information for purposes of bail application. I'm more than ready to proceed with this matter. So if you're more than ready to proceed, can we stand it down? For today, it was postponed for Atini. And for bail? No, as far as I... If you're more than ready, I'm more than ready for you. No, no. My role has collapsed. As I said. No, then I can take an opportunity to consult with Matt Lyne and then um, see how far... No, no, uh, If you're more than ready, that means you are now ready. If you are affidavit, then you... No, no. Okay, so when will you be ready with that? No, no. What I said, Your Worship, is that... when will you be ready? To proceed with the bail application. That's correct. We have agreed on a date for the 13th of December. Good. 13th December for the bail application in custody. But, Your Worship, what I humbly wanted to request are two things. First one being me having access to can consult today so that I'm prepared to proceed with the matter. Secondly, I will discuss with my learned colleague, and I'm relying on S versus Green, which is an SCA case. For me to gain access to the video footage, because it will play a very pivotal role for bail application. Uh, listen, all those issues speak to the prosecutor, and then thereafter you speak to me. Okay, if there's a problem. Good. 13 December for the bail application in custody. Good. May I then be excused? So that was what happened in court today really sounds like a tense exchange, but it weeks. So you were in court today. Um, was it tense? Why? It did. It did certainly feel quite tense. Um, it did seem like the magistrate was very adamant that he wanted to just proceed with the matter and to get it over and done with. And he did seem quite unhappy that um, advocate Itumaleng Masako, who's representing the accused in this matter, wasn't as keen to just go straight into the bail application today. So Bafana uh, Mahungela, the varsity college student who is accused uh, today, uh, he was in, in the dock. Um, what were your impressions of, mm. of, of how he's looking and what's happening now with the, this bail application? Yeah, so he made his first appearance last week, Tuesday. And when he came out of the girls last week, he looked very sort of shell-shocked a little bit confused, kind of overwhelmed. Um, Today, he was almost smiling a little bit when he came out. He did seem a lot more relaxed than he did at his first appearance. Um, We did speak to his advocate after proceedings, though, and his advocate did tell us that he claims to have been beaten and to have suffered quite extensive injuries, and he's um, advised his client to to seek medical assistance. Um, In terms of the bail application, 
We have previously heard from the state that if he were to apply for bail, they would vehemently oppose that. Um, And we did hear today that now he does intend on applying for bail. uh, And that application is going to be heard on the 13th of this month. Bernadette Wicks, thank you very much for that. And that audio that we played from court earlier is courtesy of Newsroom Africa, giving you some insight into some of the exchanges that that happened in a courtroom. uh, And that's what happened today in the case, the murder of Kirsten Kletz. And now, it's back to Mandy Wiener on the Midday Report. This is 702. Let's walk the talk. 1221 on the Midday Report. The Commission of Inquiry into the uh, the deaths in Marshalltown, the Marshalltown fire, uh, getting underway today. Remember the Usindiso building, um, uh, th- that fire occurring, at least 770 people um, were, were killed in that incident. And this inquiry was supposed to get underway, but there was a problem with the building in which... The inquiry was to be housed, so that couldn't happen. Now it's been moved, the inquiry, to the Cybona Discovery Centre uh, in Newtown, and it's finally getting underway there. Alpha Rabashwana, EWN reporter, is there for us. Alpha, good afternoon to you. Thanks for your time. Uh, did the inquiry finally start today? Yes, Mandy, that's correct. The inquiry is sitting today at the Cybono Discovery Centre in Newtown, a new venue which now at least meets the bylaws or adheres to the bylaws of the city of Johannesburg. If you remember, the commission was um, uh, um, um, postponed uh, a few weeks ago because the, the previous venue did not comply with the bylaws, meaning that it didn't have enough safety uh, protocols, it didn't have enough uh, adequate fire escape routes. And just looking at the new venue, there's at least three exit routes here or emergency exits here, and there's a number of uh, 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 fire safety regulations and fire safety systems here. So at least this building um, or this venue does meet the, at the bylaws of the city of Johannesburg. Now, today we are hearing an application that was brought by SERI or filed by SERI to have one of the commissioners recused from the commission, Advocate Tulani Makuvela. This follows a series of alleged xenophobic tweets that were seen on his Twitter or X, X account and these posts date from uh, six years ago, uh, um, and you know he's been tweeting about Operation Tudula. He's been uh, putting his anti-foreigner um, views on on the platform, and that Siri is arguing that such a man cannot be allowed to preside over the Commission of Inquiry into the Marshalltown fire, which of course also has a number of witnesses who are, you know, um, illegal, and some are documented migrants. So what does that mean now? Does he have to recuse himself, uh, this application underway? Um, would that then potentially mean that a new person has to be appointed? He is one of the three, um, one of the two commissioners uh, on top of um, the chairperson of the commission, Justice Um He's defending himself here. And it's quite, um, it's something that you barely ever see where, where um, there is a recusal matter against a judge or a commissioner who is presiding over that case. So he is also going to be part of the people who make the decision um, against that, on the application that was brought against him. He is defending himself today and he's asked a number of questions to the legal representatives of Seri, asking that um, is he not allowed to put some of his views on his Twitter or social media posts. And in fact, was now arguing that uh, there was a meeting by a Seri lawyer a Seri lawyer requested a meeting with a commissioner in private, and that is an ex parte communication which is prohibited, meaning that uh, a judge cannot speak to a lawyer outside of court um, privately. 
um, about submissions prior to them being heard um, in court. So he's making that argument and he's defending himself today here. And the judgment will be uh, 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 handed down, I think, tomorrow. And then we will hear whether or not he'll be recused from the case or not. Okay. Alpha, thank you very much. Uh, Alpha Ramashwana, EWN reporter, giving us an update there on that commission of inquiry into the circumstances surrounding the death of at least 77 people at the Usindiso building. Uh, that resuming today, but not really uh, resuming because of the opposition against Tulani Makubela, the commissioner who's said to be uh, pro-operation Dudula and xenophobic, according to the allegations against him. Uh, so that inquiry is still not underway. And uh, uh, the fact that it has now been moved to a new building because the initial building that it was in was not fire safe great irony there but now it's happening at the Cybono Discovery Center in Newtown the midday report on 702 winner of the best daytime show award at the 2023 telecom radio awards The Democratic Alliance has been reflecting on progress to reform the national legislature in the wake of the Zondo report, giving an undertaking to hold the executive and the ANC to account. Various topics uh, being addressed by the DA leader, John Steenhuisen, today in an address. Uh, Let's have a listen to what uh, John Steenhuisen has been saying about uh, matters that are currently before Parliament and what the DA is intending to do. Thank you very much. Um, just uh, to close on the on the private members' bill, I think there's a new era coming in Parliament, in the seventh Parliament, and I think it's an exciting one. Uh, we are reaching a point where no party will have it a outright majority after the next election, and that obviously drives the imperative to have private members' legislation and the ability for bills like that to pass will make it far, far easier because anything that gets done in the seventh Parliament is going to have to be done on the basis of compromise. No more will a party have the luxury of just simply having the numbers to bulldoze through their will. And I think the days of parties believing they have a monopoly on good ideas are going to fast come to an end. And I think that should excite all of us. Um, Lulama, thanks very much for your question. Um, I do believe that opening the process up again would have yielded more candidates. And this is the problem I have with political parties nominating candidates. I don't think that any political party should nominate a candidate. I think that the person, particularly for high constitutional office, like a public protector, should be somebody free of political taint. The reason why I don't think you get a good slew of excellent applicants is that the majority of people know out there, from the exposure of the work of the Cater Deployment Committee, and that's why we're taking on that issue so hard, and knowing how the ANC works, that is a closed shop. They choose the candidate before the applications open and they get behind that candidate. And you saw that the entire way through the uh, interview process, that there was very, very clearly a imperative and directive to get their individual candidate through. So I don't think it's healthy for political parties to be nominating that person because I think that person then has that cloud and taint on them whenever they make a judgment. And if they rule in favor of a certain party, they would say, oh, well, it's because they nominated you to be the public protector. That's why you're doing that. I think we need to insulate and firewall the <coughs> high officers of the Constitution from political interference. And I think that we should ensure that people we appoint, they're not only fit and proper, but they do not have the taint of being this party's candidate or that party's candidate. I've been very clear. That's the Democratic Alliance leader, John Steenhuisen. Lindsay Dentlinger, EWN reporter, uh, listening to that for us. Lindsay, good afternoon to you. What else has John Steenhuisen been saying? 
Good afternoon, Mandy. Well, essentially the DA is saying that the sixth parliament has been no better uh, in terms of holding the executive accountable than the fifth parliament was and that President Soro Ramaphosa himself, um, in their view, has also been evading parliament pretty much like his predecessor as well. So a very scathing review across the board saying that the new dawn in John Steenhaven's words had vanished before the mist and that President Ramaphosa had not tabled a single piece of legislation in this parliament that has um, put pay to any of the promises of reform that he made when he came to office and that, has, that essentially would contribute to bettering the lives of South Africans who are still languishing under power cuts, joblessness has increased, uh, the malnutrition of children uh, and the like, and, and not having tabled anything that has significantly moved this economy. Uh, so a very scathing review um, of, of um, the way in which the ANC has conducted business in this house, Mandy, but also parliament itself uh, not escaping the DA's wrath with the party saying that um, the administration itself had kept, for example, the report on its firing investigation under wraps and as we know that bloated salary of the secretary to parliament, parliament has still not managed to get to the bottom of what exactly transpired there. Lindsay, thank you very much. Lindsay Dentlinger, EWN reporter, wrapping up there what John Steenhazen uh, had to say in that briefing. The Midday Report on 702. Winner of the Best Daytime Show Award at the 2023 Telcom Radio Awards. 12.35 on the Midday Report with me, Mandy Wiener. Uh, GDP figures out just before the show started today after two consecutive quarters of growth. Our gross domestic product contracted by 0.2% in the third quarter of this year. In other words, the economy shrunk. It got smaller. And uh, this is because of various industries. Uh, we're going to speak to the Statistician General in a minute. But uh, effectively, agriculture, manufact- manufacturing and construction uh, disappointed five of the 10 industries recorded weaker results. So let's understand this a bit further with Risenga Maloleka, the Statistician General. Statistician General, as always, welcome to the Madeira Report and thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Uh, thank you indeed. Uh, let me greet the 702 listeners as well. So take us through the numbers that have been released. What led to the contracting of the economy? Well, uh, the one thing that we know is that when an economy must grow in the positive or expand, it must have industries that are growing in the positive and are contributing positively. For it to uh, contribute, it means that there will be industries that are growing in the negative and uh, are contributing strongly in the negative. So let us look at... Uh, agriculture, for example, but start as the sectors, the primary and secondary sectors, both contributed in the negative uh, or grew in the negative in this quarter, third quarter of 2023. Uh, the tertiary sector, largely services, only grew at 0.4% in the positive. So, but let's look at agriculture, which uh, contributed the most to the negative growth. It contributed negative 0.3 of a percentage point while itself grew in negative about 9.6% in the negative. Now, having said so, so is construction and manufacturing, which contributed each negative 0.1 of a percentage point. 
the areas of mining and trade didn't uh, uh, they grew in the negative but also contributed zero so those that contributed in the positive could not uh, it was not enough to offset the negative uh, growth or the contraction of the economy in the third quarter uh, you do look at uh, water and electricity uh, supply as well. After five consecutive quarters of decline, the electricity, gas and water supply industry grew by 0.2%. Uh, in your report, you also speak about water consumption and electricity generation. Tell us about that. Largely, the 0.2%, which uh, relatively, if you ask me, is just marginally above zero. Uh, was due to the uh, increases in the production and consumption of electricity. We will remember that load shedding uh, had uh, largely in the months of July and August, not as we have seen it sustaining coming back from the uh, latter part of the, 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 the quarter, which is in the month of September. Investments in machinery and equipment weakened in the third quarter. Uh, you also speak about um, the importing of uh, machinery and equipment. Uh, how did that contribute? Let us look at it this way. Let's start with imports. Imports uh, grew in the negative. Uh, they slumped 8.6%. While there was a, a positive contribution, it was not enough to cause any movement. But I want us to look specifically on that one of exports and say, I mean, of imports and say that in the imports area, in the second quarter, we had seen a lot of machinery coming in uh, in the form of renewable energy related machinery. But this time the deadline was largely due to electrical equipment, chemical products, resins and plastics as well as base metal and uh, article base metals and of course vegetable products so those are the ones that have uh, shown a lot of decline whereas in the exports area uh, which grew only by 0.6 percent we can see that it was influenced by trade uh, uh, in vehicles uh, and of course transport equipment pearls and precious metals Hmm. It just uh, goes to show, and I'm not asking you for a comment on this, to be clear, uh, how important it is to have operational ports and making sure that we are able to to import and export in order to keep the economy growing. Uh, Just lastly, Statistician General, household expenditure, what do the figures tell us about that? The household expenditure, we have seen that uh, uh, there were more in the semi-durable goods uh, that we saw a positive growth of 2% with a contribution of a 0.2 of a percentage point. But all services, durable and non-durable goods, uh, grew in the negative and contributed negatively. So household uh, expenditure, it's the second time in a, in, it's the second time in a row that it has grown in the negative. So we have seen growth in the area of clothing, uh, and footwear, as well as restaurants and hotels and services in the form of uh, personal services in the form of education and health. But if you ask me, the rest have gone in the negative. And uh, so one of the things with interest rates uh, going higher, it has households have been uh, withholding expenditure uh, in relation to uh, what's that, what they can spend on.
Statistician General, as always, uh, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate you speaking to us. Resenga Maruleka, the Statistician General, breaking down the GDP figures, the economy contracting by 0.2%. Uh, and, and again, I make the point that you need to have functional ports uh, in order to ensure that there is uh, imports and export taking place because that's how you drive the economy. And we'll see it in, in the GDP figures, no doubt, in the fourth quarter as well because of what's happening at the port of Durban, the port of Richards Bay, even the port of Cape Town as well. Uh, and when you've got ships sitting out there on the water and you aren't able to actually get stuff into the country, that's going to have an, an impact. But just breaking down the figures there, generally the agriculture industry declining, uh, driven lower mainly by field crops, animal products, horticulture products as well. Not a fabulous picture for the economy. 702. The Midday Report with Mandy Wiener. Let's walk the talk. Well, let's have a look at the situation in Dipsluit now. We did see various vigilante attacks taking place at the weekend, seven people being killed. Uh, there are reports today that some of that crime is now spilling over into schools with pupils getting involved in clashes and stabbings outside schools as well. Parents and community leaders saying that conflicts at schools have escalated to dangerous levels. Well, let's find out more about this with Loiso Toia, who's a Dipsluit community leader. Loiso, good afternoon to you. Thank you for uh, your time today. Uh, is this an accurate representation of, of what's happening in Dipsuit? Uh Yes, there were elements, not that because of what happened uh, 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 during the weekend and uh, uh, these things that happened in the school. There are elements of these small gangs, gangsterism, uh, kids fighting at school. Uh, uh, even recently, I think it was two weeks back, whereby uh, Deep Suit West kids they were, were fighting, uh, uh, stabbing each other there. Uh, uh, not because of what happened in the previous week, but these were elements that have already been there at school. Are you saying then it's not related to the vigilante attacks that we saw at the weekend, but... but I think the suggestion that is being made or the inference that is being drawn here is that there's a general sense of lawlessness and there is a a, a general um, uh, resorting to violence rather than allowing the police to intervene. I I can agree with you. There's a level of lawlessness uh, uh, that now is uh, uh, spread to to, to pupils at school. Uh, uh, it's, It's been happening. We've been trying to go into this school and engage with kids to try to quell this uh, gangsterism uh, that they are doing, this fight that they are doing among uh, uh, each other. Uh, 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 we can say, uh, indeed, the, our community now is becoming uh, uh, something that really we, 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 we don't wish to, to raise kids in because of what is happening. Those kids are starting to, to imitate what is they are seeing happening in, in, in the society. In terms of the two incidents which occurred at the weekend, the vigilante attacks uh, in which seven people were were killed, what is the sense in the community about that? We know that uh, there is a a, a long-running, very um, complex uh, relationship between the police and the community of of Dipsluit. But but what is the sentiment now? What is the feeling about what's happened in these latest incidents? And uh, I've said it before, uh, my sister, that if our government, including the police department, would have uh, 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 done what we have requested them to do. None of this would have happened. If they have acted that time, we're making calls, going to union building and say they must intervene. None of this 
would have happened. We are dealing with police that are reactionary. They, 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 they can't come up with plans or listen to the community when we are, we are giving them proposal of how to deal with the issue of crime. The relationship between the community and the police is, is getting worse. It's not, it's not getting any better. Because what they do when we're raising these issues that are related, related to crime and defruit, they will even arrest us as leaders. I'm, I'm one of those victims that were arrested by the police for raising issues related uh, uh, to crime. So really, after those incidents of getting arrested and so on and so on, you can't really trust the police even with the information uh, uh, that you have as, as a community leader. These two incidents that happened at the weekend, what was the, the motive? Why were these, these people killed? I think uh, there's a sense of uh, people have lost hope uh, in the police and the, and the government of, of, of today. Uh, for, 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 for the entire year, this year if you have, have, have witnessed that people have protesting, a memorandum has been sent to the police, the provincial commissioner, by different stakeholders and structures of the truth. But out of all the efforts by the community, nothing has changed. Instead, things were, were, were getting worse and worse. So because of that, the community felt as if they've, they, they, they've no hope at all. There's nothing that they can do rather than to take the law into their own hands, which we are condemning such thing. But we're blaming the government and the police if they would have done their work, none of these would have done. No one would have, uh, was going to be killed, including by criminals and all the vigilante acts that has happened in the previous week. Louis, so how would you describe the atmosphere in, in Dipsworth at the moment? Well, at the moment, everything is calm. Um, it's just yesterday, uh, the reports that community uh, members had a meeting uh, preparing to go to court tomorrow to support those who, who were arrested because people believe that uh, we are innocent up until proven guilty. So uh, mm. that's what is happening now. Luiso, thank you very much for your time. Uh, Luiso Toyi, a Dipsluit community leader, explaining the situation there following those two vigilante attacks at the weekend in which seven people were killed. And now it's back to Mandy Wiener on the Midday Report. This is 702. Let's walk the talk. You know, it's quite a poignant image to see a van outside Latuli House, the headquarters of the ANC. And on the van reads, Sheriff. What a story that tells to see the Sheriff of the Court trying to attach property belonging to the ANC at its headquarters in Joburg because of court judgments against the ruling party in the country. And we've known for some time that the ANC does not do a particularly good job of managing its own finances. Uh, but yesterday, this uh, reached a point where officials from the office of the sheriff were at Latuli House uh, with the intention to seize assets worth more than 102 million rand that it owes a KZN-based printing and marketing firm, Ezelweni Investments. Uh, Ezelweni went to court because they supplied the ANC with campaign material during the 2019 general 
general elections and they have not been paid. So they've gone to court. There are judgments against the ANC in this matter, two judgments in fact. The ANC was able to ward off the attachment of its um, belongings, its property by going to the constitutional court. But my impression is they are just delaying the inevitable here. Uh, We were hoping to speak to the ANC spokesperson about this now. Unfortunately, we can't get hold of her. Uh, So Dr. Livia Ndo, political analyst, joining us to speak about this. Uh, Dr. Ndo, thank you very much for jumping in and speaking to us uh, about this matter. What does this tell us about the state of the ANC on, on, uh, I wouldn't say the eve, but a few months ahead of the next elections in this country? Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon to the listeners at home. Thank you for having me. It tells you a lot about the ANC. Um, but I think um, it, it also has its own history, uh, based on what you just indicated earlier on. That in the last few years, we have had the ANC that had a very difficult financial situation where the ANC could not pay its staff for months and months, uh, where the ANC could not run uh, what one would refer to as a normal campaign during the 2021 uh, local government elections. And there has always been issues that relate to the state of the finances in the ANC. My sense is that we shouldn't be where we are today um, uh, uh, in relation to this matter because one would expect the governing party to have very uh, 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 capable ways of dealing with uh, um, uh, issues that relate to how they relate with their service providers. You don't want a situation where the ANC or any other political party would be associated with um, the inability to honor agreements uh, for those that Mm. have provided valuable services to them. Because this is the party that is running government, and if they can't uh, run their affairs properly, it says a lot about that. Yeah, this is the obvious question, right? Is what people will say is if they can't manage their own finances, how can they manage massive budgets on a national level on behalf of government? Well, it, it is not only about that. It is, it is also about um, the caliber that are uh, running the ANC and also running government. Uh, if they cannot do simple things, paying a service provider, what then are they doing in government in terms of ensuring that uh, those that are providing services for government are actually getting the value for money? There can be a lot of explanation that the ANC can provide to their members and supporters and the South African public. But what is at the core of the situation is that um, the ANC has not been able to honor its financial commitment to the service provider. 
Dr. Levy and Doe, political analyst, thank you very much uh, for your time reflecting there. The ANC, um, in a statement, uh, has said uh, that the organisation will not be liquidated and that the deputy sheriff should not have been there and that there was an unnecessary spectacle and um, the spokesperson saying that there has been a verbal apology, um, but we were hoping to speak to the spokesperson. Unfortunately, we couldn't get a hold of her. On the WhatsApp line, uh, Mandy, the ANC debacle regarding the shutting out of the sheriff shows their blatant disregard of the legal process process and we'll have investors running for the hills as reflected in the fact that investors have sold off SA investments totaling over 98.1 billion rand this year disgruntled a taxpayer what does this say about uh, the ANC do you think it is just an unnecessary spectacle the midday report on 702 winner of the best daytime show award at the 2023 telcom radio awards well, let's have a look at the situation on uh, Lion's Head and on Table Mountain uh, generally following a spate of muggings on various trails. Uh, a protest hike being held along the Lion's Head Trail to demand an end to crime on the mountain. The Friends of Table Mountain a chairperson joining us now, Andy Davies, to speak about this. Andy, good afternoon to you. Thank you very much for your time. Um, tell us about this protest hike and, and what your message has been. Yeah, so uh, thanks for having us on your show. We had a protest hike um, last week um, at Lion's Head. It was very early in the morning, but I still managed to make it. Um, and it was fairly successful. Uh, we had uh, about 50 um, people who joined us. And I, I think the message was, was clear that the, the citizens and the public of Cape Town are just um, tired of the, of the crime on Table Mountain National Park, and we need to solve it. And what's come out of that also is that we're actually busy um, arranging for a, a petition that we'd like to, to submit to the Minister, Barbara Creasy. What is your sense as the Friends of, of Table Mountain about um, attempts to tighten security on, on the mountain? And are you satisfied with efforts that have been made? Look, uh, um, what, what we see normally at this time of the year, um, before the festive season and during the festive season, is a... Is a uptick in crime, and then we get this knee-jerk reaction from law enforcement and specifically sandparks to, to address the problem. What we're actually looking for is a consistent and proactive approach to crime fighting. It's not only the tourists that we're worried about during the festive season, it's also the, the citizens and the, and the public um, of, of Cape Town who enjoy the mountains so much. Um, yeah, but what we are seeing, which is very, very good to see, I must say, is that the city of Cape Town have really come on board. And I know that they've a lot of resources are being applied to the problem um, around um, Signal Hill, Lion's Head, and even Devil's Peak and, and at the Cableway Station. So if uh, if anyone is listening and they want to go out and, and hike the mountain, um, whether they live in Cape Town or they are Joburg listeners who are coming to Cape Town, what advice would you give them? Yeah, look, if you are going to go and have a mountain, just be aware that we, we do have a crime problem. And uh, if you're going to go hiking, please walk in large groups. Um, the other thing that I can recommend is that we actually have a community safety app called Buzzer. And when you do come to Cape Town, please download it onto your phone. What's really nice about it is it's a single panic button, but you can also use it to notify um, the authorities of a medical emergency or, or, or even suspicious activity. And uh, what's, what's really nice about it is, is it gives a precise GPS location. Um, so you don't need to explain to some uh, phone operator where exactly you okay. are on the mountain. And it's called Buzzer. Buzzer, B-U-Z-Z-E-R. 
Excellent. Well, Andy, thank you very much uh, for that. Andy Davies is the Friends of the Table Mountain chairperson uh, speaking to us there about uh, safety along Table Mountain. The Midday Report. Hey, did you see that Malala Yousafzai, who, of course, is the youngest ever Nobel laureate, is in Joburg. She is uh, visiting the Apartheid Museum. Uh, She's just tweeted about it. And that's because she is delivering uh, the Nelson Mandela Lecture, the annual lecture later today. So that's something to listen out for. Malala Yousafzai later today will be delivering the Nelson Mandela Annual Lecture.